0: Well, Amos chapter nine. We're going to start out with with not only judgment, you know, um, the altar. Wow, the altar should have been a place of wonderment, where God could be met, where your your sins could be uh, covered. Okay. Now I say covered because the cross of Jesus Christ is where your sins were atoned for, where, where they were paid for by the blood of Christ. But they would, should come to the altar and have them covered so that God could deal with His sinning people in righteousness. Because an innocent lamb, who by the way, these sacrifices were being offered, as we see in Malachi, they offered blemished sacrifice. They didn't care anymore. The seriousness of God's way to Himself was just something that, well, it was a religious exercise, and God will have none of it. You know, uh, so in this, I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, strike the doorposts that the thresholds may shake and break them on the heads of them all. I will slay the last of them with the sword. He who flees from them shall not get away, and he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. Now, this is not the uh, the language of atonement, <laughs> This is the language of judgment. Aldenai, I saw the Lord, the God of all living, of immense power. Jesus, the Lord, the word Lord, the, the title of Lord, pronounced on the Lord Jesus Christ, is this Aldenai, he's the God of all living. He's of immense power. That's why we those three verses that we like, you know, John chapter one, Colossians chapter one, and Hebrews chapter one all speak of the redemptive power of the Redeemer. You know, the one of all living, the one who spoke in this universe slept into existence. The one who died and, and the temple, the veil in the temple split, and there was an earthquake, the rock split, when he rose again, uh, he sent the Holy Spirit in, and that power that raised Christ from the dead. The very same power enters into us and causes us to be born again, regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says to Titus and so forth. So this Lord is standing there in what should have been a place of, of immense opportunity, uh, turned into rivalry. God will have none of it. But as we looked at the ruin and then the restoration of Israel, we see how faithful God is. I remember that story we had on Sunday it was it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, probably one of the most wonderful stories I've ever heard. They were arguing about how could you your salvation be eternal? How could some decision that you make something supposed that has happened two thousand years ago without your intervention? How could that be eternal? How could you keep it? How could it be kept? How do I know? That in, let's say I die in 20 years, how do I know that my eternal position is secure? And the one word that came up from, I think it was a teenager, I'm not sure, Jesus. That settles the question. Jesus, the Lord of all creation, stands by the altar, which should have been a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ, has now become the place of impending Judgment. It's often been said that, uh, that I believe it's true. I don't I can't say the vernacular of it, but, but you know, you look at the fact that God is going to weep at those who stumble over the cross of Jesus Christ into Christ's eternity. That's how much God loves you. People have all kinds of warped concepts of how you know this afterlife is going to be lived. I can tell you how it's going to be lived. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. You're either in Christ or you're in Adam. All that are in Christ will be saved. <clears throat> All that are in Christ, when Jesus comes back, will go to the Father's house with Him. Those that are aren't in Christ will be left behind. Look into judgment. He says uh, in the middle of that verse 1, I will slay the last of them with the sword. He who flees from them shall not get away, and he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. Let's read down a little bit. Verse 2, though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven... From there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from the sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. Verse 4, though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword and it shall slay them. I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. Wow. Wow. You remember Joab? You know what? He's one character in the Word. I like the guy. Every time I weep about his demise, or every time I read about his demise, I want to weep because Joab was so loyal to David. All it took was Joab disobeying the king, and his demise comes. You know, when Joab... He himself not only threw the, the, the dart, so to speak, in in, uh, in David's son, but he had the people his armor bearers surround him. Guess what happens to Joab? Remember how he how he loses his life? What was he doing? He was in the temple hanging on the altar. You know? Something tells me if I go in and hang on the altar, God might spare me. Solomon sells his and then going there and strike him down. It's a bear. But I can't remember the name. Command him, Will you go go strike him down? God. <laughs> you know, I was reading a commentary the other day. Problem with a lot of people is that they have they, they, they kind of ride the fence. They're kind of in the middle of the road, you know? Uh, the Bible is, is is true some places, but maybe not true. I can't I can't quite get my idea around some of it, but some of it you can't help it. You know, I do believe John fourteen six where Jesus says I'm the way, of the truth, life. But I really can't understand this this donkey business with Balaam, or, or, or this this whale swine, whatever it might be. They're always kind of in the middle of the road. Did you know that to an earnest seeker, God will not leave you in the middle of the road? That's how much He loves you. If you earnestly seek God in His Word, He will make sure on the validity of His Word that you won't be in the middle of the road. And you can tell me man doesn't have a free will. Man has a free will. He picks and he chooses what he wants, regardless of the pleading of God. But if we seek for the Lord with all of our heart, And look at his word and seek to understand his word with all of our heart and to lean upon it, stretch ourselves out on it. God promises we will not be in the middle of the road, we will be on the rock. Jesus said, All those who hear these words of mine, there's two things you can do. If you want to get in the middle of the road and question and not really be committed, you're going to build your house on the sand of life. And when, not if, but when the floods come and everything comes, that house is going to fall. And guess what? He didn't just say it's going to come and just fall. He said, great will be its fall. Or you can go, you can build your house on me. You know how many times David uses the, the Lord as his rock in the Psalms? You build your house upon me, upon the rock, and when, not if, when these floods mm-hmm. come, you're not going to be in the middle of the road. You're not going to be wondering which way to go. God will make sure on the validity and in the just recompense of His justice, His word that you will be solid. I think when it comes a time of God's judgment, I think the whole universe will realize that God is merciful, He is long-suffering, He is patient, but He is also judge. So, he says here in verse 2, 3, and 4, Hey, you know what? Though you dig into hell or Sheol, therefore my hand will take you. You climb to heaven. I'm going to bring you down. You can hide on the top of Carmel. <laughs> you know, you can be as religious. You can hide on all the religious places. I will take you from there. And we can just go on and on. The captivity, verse 4. I'm going to bring you. I'm going to command the sword. You can going to slay them. I'm going to set my eyes for them. Harm and not for good. Look at verse 5. The Lord God of hosts, He who touches the earth and it melts. I love the prophets because they'll give dire warning in the midst of mercy and all of a sudden, bam! The justice and the holiness and the majesty of God comes right out. We are dealing with a God who is so majestic as Chuck Smith used to say, we must be changed. Our body could not handle it. The glory to be revealed. Wow. So verse five it's the Lord God of hosts. You know, you remember the story of, of Samson? Find that Judges sixteen. Remember how Samson was a mighty man, but he had a he had a He had a problem with lust. He had a problem with with sexual lust. But anyway, remember at the end of his uh, his days how he destroyed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life? Remember the story? It's in Judges 16, if you're writing notes. It's a wonderful story. You know? It was true. It was was the power of God to even a person who had, had lost his character. In fact, you know what? Turn to Judges 16 real quick. This is wonderful stuff. Let's start at verse 18. This just, just we'll read down real quick. Judges chapter 16, we'll start at verse 18. I just want to say a few things. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent called for the Lord of the Philistines, saying, Come up here once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the Lord of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as at other times, and shake myself free. You see, before he he was kind of playing and toiling with her, and he would be his marvelous strength. You take care of the situation. But again, look at the end of verse 20 real close. But... He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. You know, Samson chose lust over his Nazarite position. In other words, his care, separation unto God. Okay, That was what a Nazarite was, was typically designed in the Old Testament to do. Not only proclaim the law of the Lord, but show what that law should have done was to separate them. So he lost. He chose lust over his Nazarite position... You know, often Christians lose the power of the Spirit the same way. So, anyway, as we go on down through the story, verse 21 then the Philistines took him, put his eyes out, gouged his eyes out, took him down to Gaza, bound him with with fetters, put him in the prison. It began to grow again, his hair. One part of a Nazarite was that they they the long hair was an approach, so to speak. I was one of their characters, or approach of men. They were separated under the Lord. The cross is a reproach to men. We are to be separate. You know? And and when, when we're separate to God, and we separate ourselves to God through the power of the Spirit, His word starts becoming not only a fam- not a famine to us, but a feast to us. Something that that uh, feeds us every day, something that causes us to grow mature in Jesus Christ, to do His will. So His hair started growing again. Look at verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together, a great sacrifice to Dagon their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered in our hands Samson our enemy." When the people saw him, they praised their God, and they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So what happened when they were partying, their hearts were filled with Mary, and, and so far, verse 25, look at verse 26, Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars of the support of the temple, so I can lean on them. And the temple is full of men and women, all the lords of the Philistines were there, verse 27, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching Samson perform. We all know that Samson called the Lord He says, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray, strengthen me. I pray just this once, O oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistine for my two eyes. Of course, we know the rest of the story. It won't go on out of time. He pushed on the pillars and 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 the roof came down, and that was it. He perished with his enemies. You know, I think a lot of times that when we look at the prophets, we, th- we think, surely that can't be my God. Surely that can't be what's happening today. You know, um, Absolutely. Are we safe and secure in Jesus Christ as Christians? You bet. I have a position that will never be taken away because Christ's blood has been shed. The Bible says that he died once for sin, and he lives under God, and I am in him. I am secure and safe. But yet... I can choose to have sin and come into my life and choose to be stubborn and choose to be rebellious and choose to whine. I was talking to Dini the other night. I said, if you really think about it, a person that is laden with anger, in fact, we talked after Monday night, a person who is laden with anger, what has he got to be angry about? The Bible says that your anger will fail. Now you stand before a holy God, angry? Are you kidding me? There's no room for anger. Righteous anger, yes, because the you know the, the holiness of God is being affronted. But anger? There's people that just, if they aren't angry about something, they're not happy. It's kind an of oxymoron, isn't it? If there's something not to complain about, they're not happy. God will deal with that. Uh, why, why would we want to sacrifice that? Separate unto the Lord. That's, that's, that's what I wanted to look at from that story of Samson and elsewhere. Um, we don't want to be in that mill road. Okay? Why are we looking at these prophets? Why are we reading the Word of God? Because it's the Word of God. You know, not just the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. Let's glean the spiritual honey, if we will, from these, from these passages. So let's go on. I know that that is, it's my time flees from me. So judgment is coming. I'm not going to, I'm striking the doorpost, everything's shaking, I'm a slave, and this word is directly appointed from this prophet. I don't care where you go, I'm going to get you there. I know where you're going. Look again, verse 5. The Lord of hosts who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell there mourn. Back in Amos chapter 9, verse 5. All who dwell there mourn, all of it shall swell like the river, and subside like the river of Egypt. Verse 6, he who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his satra in the earth, or his position in the earth. Look at this, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. You know, I remember back in these times, you know, we didn't, they didn't have the, uh, the supposedly sophisticated equipment that we see today that, you know, we know about evaporation, we know what, what's happening, you know. You remember uh, when in the times back not too long ago people thought the earth was flat or not the word of God, he inhabits upon the circle the sphere of the earth and so forth, you know. God causes the water to evaporate from the oceans. He has great vehicles called clouds, moisture vehicles, that he transports water where he wishes, and it causes to fall. And then not only that, Job says that he directs the lightning, and the lightning, in it, we talked about this before, has certain elements that when the lightning, the water goes through the lightning, whatever, it hits the ground, fertilizes the crops, We we'll go on and on. Now, back to Richard Dawkins. Oh, is that really what, what we've been reduced to? Well, the prophets, in the midst of their prophesying, bring up this glorious God who does these things. And you're not going to listen to me. I think it's more of a, uh, a ridiculing, if you will. The people that were called by God's name, the Jews, were turning from that to religious paganism, to idols that can't speak, that can't stand, that can't smell. Remember Sennacherib. Who came down and he, and he was going to have to give the people of Hezekiah, he was going to go out to Jerusalem. He did the same thing. He taunted the God of Israel. He said, None of the gods of the other people have ever been able to save him. You think your God is going to save him too? He did not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the prophets here, man, just will put in the glorious nature of God. I love it. Verse 7 Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me, O children of Israel? says the Lord, did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaptor, and the Syrians from Kerr? Think of verse 8. Behold the eyes of the Lord. God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. Now, I wanted, I wanted to point out something here. This right here in verse 8, this latter part of verse 8, yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, starts a strain of, of prophetic, this is actually a continuation, the strain of prophetic utterances that God, yes, will punish Israel drastically. And I got a beautiful quote from David Levy, who he took the time to uh, go through some of the, the eras and anti-Semitic, uh, punishment of the Jews—it uh, was phenomenal. And the other uh, strain is—is is I will not utterly destroy you. You know, we go to Obadiah, and we get there. Edom, Edom, as a people, as a whole people, are are perished. Nineveh, as a people, as a place, perished. But God has said, even though I severely punish you, I will not ultimately destroy you. Wow, that is prophetic strain through the prophets. That is trying to be destroyed, even by professing Christians today. It goes so deep. Remember, we talked year for years now. We've been saying how um, this replacement theology, this this, this God is done with Israel, the fallacy of that runs really deep into the Word. It's like a bad root canal. You know, I have this explained you know too long ago. It's great. A root canal, you have three separate roots, three separate canals. One of the root goes main into the root that is a nerve that feeds the vitality of the the tooth, and it goes way in there. It just makes me shiver thinking about it. They gotta go way in there, clear out that canal, clear out that root. The same thing about God's faithfulness to his people runs very, very deep into the Word of God. So this idea of God's done with Israel is really a forefront to the, the foundation, if you will, of the prophets. Yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. Keep your finger there and turn to, I believe, Jeremiah 30. Real quick. We'll just see an example of this. Jeremiah chapter 30. Wow. Jeremiah is a wonderful, wonderful book. We'll start at verse 10. We'll read verse 10 and 11. Jeremiah 30, verse 10. Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. Verse 11, For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. And of course, we know that, that Jeremiah has had specific, direct uh, um, pronouncements, if you will, of God saying, uh, you have to do the impossible before Israel will cease from before me. Remember Jeremiah 33 or something about the the waves and the sun and the stars. If you can take those away, if you can do the impossible, things that only God can do, if you can do that, only then am I going to take Israel away. In other words, you will never do that. And he goes one step further. He says, if you think you can measure the span of the earth and the understanding it took and the foundations of it, Again, something you cannot do; only I can do. Then and only then will Israel cease from being a nation before me. So this this whole prophetic strain are the prophets true? Absolutely, absolutely. God's going to prove that over and over and over again. That's why I'm excited about going through these minor prophets. Wow. Verse 9 says, for surely I will command, back in Isaiah 9, I'm sorry. Verse 9, for surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations. As grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. Wow. You know, God is so intimately in love with you. You know, I think that's one of the things that if the devil can't get your soul, which he can't. He's going to do a number of things, but I believe one thing he's going to do is, is try to get you to question how much God really loves you. How much he really cares about you. How much does he really look at your life? Does he really care about your life? Does God care about my life? He cares about every iota of your life. Every breath that you take, he gives to you. Wow. He says again in the end of verse 9, Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. Look at verse 10. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say the calamity shall not overtake or confront us. Wow. Wow. You know, the Jews, i got something, too, that I wanted to share with you. Um, I love doing, you know, part of, of what I love to do, um, and, and praise God, you know, this the Lord allows me to do it um, through a series of circumstances. is to allow me the time to research some of the stuff that not only is ammunition to understanding the prophets, but understanding how severely God has dealt with His people. And that is going to be the wonderment of it. The Jews are are the wandering Jews of the world, but God is going to bring them back. So when we look in this thing, again, in verse 9, For sure I command, and will sift the house of Israel among all nations. will sift the house of Israel among all nations. As grain is sifted in a sieve. God is going to deal with them very meticulously. I want to read you something, and... And just listen to some of this research and some of the way God has done this. Just sit back and listen to this. I hope you enjoy it as I did. God would use this purifying process, we're talking about here, to protect and spare Israel. Israel has indeed been sifted throughout the nations for some 19 centuries. As satanically obsessed leaders have attempted to destroy the Jewish people. In A.D. 135, way back, the Roman emperor Hadrian overtook Jerusalem and persecuted the Jews. He posted edicts against the practice of Judaism, and any infringement brought the death penalty. Jews were barred from Jerusalem, and trying to enter the city were killed. During the First Crusade of uh, 196, 1096, Jews were branded as enemies of Christendom. 12,000 were killed along the Rhine River in Germany. In 1181, King Philip of France banished the Jewish people from his country, stripping them of of their land and their houses. In 1189, at the coronation of Richard the Lionheart, persecution resulted in most Jewish houses in London. Do you know that? Being burned and Jewish people being murdered. Then the crown claimed their possessions. Wow. In 1348, the Jewish people were blamed for the Black Plague of Europe and and were slaughtered. In Germany alone, almost 12,000 Jewish people were killed. In 1478, the Spanish Inquisition broke out. And in 1492, did uh, Columbus sail the ocean blue? That's what what we all learned. About 300,000 Jews were banished from Spain and many more killed. In 1520, they were banished from Naples, Genoa, and Venice, Italy. In 1794, Jews were restricted in Russia, and Jewish men were forced to serve 25 years in the Russian army. By 1903, renewed restrictions were levied against the Jewish people and frequent uh, pogroms, or massacres, pogroms, wow, that's massacres, broke out as the Russians destroyed many Jewish villages, the worst Holocaust to come on the Jewish people took place between 1933 and 1945, when 6 million died at the hands of Hitler's Nazis, as they cruelly and systematically superintended over the destruction of European Jewry. Yet despite all this suffering, the Jewish people have survived in fulfillment of Amos' amazing prophetic forecast. Listen to this, and I'll, and I'll close with these net, not, I'll close this quote here. These next two paragraphs, this is very interesting, I think. Amos warned that some would be punished because of their rebellious attitudes. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say the calamity shall not overtake or us, verse 10. Amos was saying that those who falsely boasted that judge would not fall on the nation would be purged out by death. Jeremiah prophesied Israel's survival in the midst of severe judgment. And although God might make a full end of the nations to which He would scatter His people, He promised He would not make a full end of Israel. We just read Jeremiah 30, by the way. In fact, He promised that Israel would survive as long as the earth existed. What a marvelous promise of God's grace and mercy in the midst of extreme judgment. Wow. That's just a little little bit of history Of the, uh, it goes way more than that. Um, Of the persecution of the Jews, the anti Semitic, uh, even in my own family, I remember I had a a family member years and years ago who uh, was anti Semitic. It, It was everywhere. pray that God would forgive those that are Jew-haters. You want to really shed some tears? Read what Martin Luther really thought about the Jews. Read what he really did later on in his life about the Jews and what he thought about them. And yet we hail him as a great reformer and a great this and that. Well, I didn't bring that tonight because it's It's disgusting. Woe to the calamity for it will not overtake us firsthand. I want to talk about verse eleven. I don't think we're gonna to get to over that tonight, but that's okay. Look at look at verse eleven. What a break in, in this, this strain. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. See, this is a shift. This is how, how Amos ends. This is absolutely marvelous. We're going to go real quick to Acts 15, which is my, my, my spot. <laughs> I love Acts 15 and what that represents. But on that day, verse 11, again, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Keep your finger there and go to Acts fifteen real quick. <coughs> this is exciting. Wow. This is this these are the days. You know, this is happening. Today, we're living in this time. We're living in the end of times where we see so many things happening. This is what God is doing, and God promises this will yet to, to take place. You know, think about this as you think about the scripture Paul says in Romans, Has God forsaken His people? Has He thrown them away? Acts chapter 15, let's start at verse 16. Okay? Well, actually, verse 15, it says, And with this, these words the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this I will return and re- rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. Now, let's, let's understand that that in in Acts fifteen, we start out by saying, by seeing that there there has been an uproar between certain religious leaders that have that have, have finally said, Okay, you know, Jesus we've we'll talked about this a lot. I hope this doesn't get redundant. Jesus is the Messiah, we can't deny that. But there are still, you still must be circumcised, verse 5, for example, and you still must keep the law of Moses. So this was something that, that Paul and Silas has, have heard as they were going around, and there was a big commotion. And they came to the pillars, Peter, James, and John, at the Jerusalem Council, it's called, or the Jerusalem Church or Assembly, and they were putting this forth to them. So, it, so we, you look at this, and this is what James really addresses. This is the meat of the gospel. Okay, when we see that what we just read in in Amos, and then we're gonna we also read in Acts chapter five, it's God that is going to rebuild the fallen places of of his of the tabernacle of David. It's God who is calling the Gentiles and fulfilling. The times of the of, of you know the filling of the Gentiles coming to the church. So we see that, for example, as these these Pharisees or these religious leaders that have came to Christ that are saying that yeah Jesus is the Messiah, but you know what you still got to keep the law, you still got to be circumcised. Well, if you go to Acts fifteen verse ten, by the way, they stand up by saying, you know, Peter said. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? Our fathers couldn't bear it. We can't bear it. It's got to be Jesus alone or we're doomed. And then verse 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we both shall be saved in the same manner. Well, as, as we're getting in this council and as it goes on, you you. You know, you can read it for yourself. And and if you're not versed in this, Nance, I would, I would take some time to look at Acts 15 very closely. It is wonderful. All of a sudden, in the midst of this controversy, if you will, James stands up and he goes right to the prophets. He says, this is what's going on, folks. God right now has suspended, if you will, his dealings with his people. Has he forgotten him? Absolutely not. I'm going to tell you why. Because after the Gentiles come in, after they're grafted in, as Paul says, to this, this tree, then God is going to go back and he is going to grab the, tabern- the fallen tabernacle of David and he's going to raise it up. Wow. The prophets come alive. That's in the New Testament, okay? It's not the Old Testament, it's just the Older Testament. Now we're in the New Testament, we see what's happening now. Where are we in now? What time are we in now? Gentiles are coming to Christ like crazy. Muslims are coming to Christ. A few Jews here and there are coming to Christ. Has God forgotten his people? Absolutely not. In the midst of all this, God is saying to the prophets, this is what's going on. I am severely, you have known by history, some of you just read, how God is punishing the Jews. And the restoration is going to be absolutely glorious. Again, back in Amos 11, or 9, and we'll close with this again, verse 11. On that day, the final restoration, if you will, of this wonderful nation. On that day... I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Now, hold your finger there. Go right over to Obadiah. Look at verse 19. Flip over, Obadiah, verse 19. Simply, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess the Galilee. Wow, the lowland, the south. as some versions, the native, was the south. You know, it's, it's kind of like if you look, you look at the nation. You look at the, the whole United States in the south of Texas, that would be like the Negev, you know? That's what Kadesh Barnea was, by the way, where they could come, and, and it was on a brow, where they could have the whole uh, fertile valley, if you will, looking before them. Remember the spies that went out there and the said, it's wonderful, look at the fruit, and, you know, on and so forth. On that day, God says, I will raise up Tabernacle of David, answering the question that, uh, well... You don't have to turn to right now, you probably know it. But it's absolutely wonderful. You look at Romans. Romans is uh well, they they say that Romans is the masterpiece of of writing. Um, absolutely stupendously pinned. And I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. God has not cast away His people whom He, what? foreknew, Whom He foreknew. Now, if you want to go a little step further here in the faithfulness of God, let's go over to 1 Peter. Uh, If you want, if not, just listen to this. God is not going to cast away His people whom He foreknew. It's God's foreknowledge. Look at what Peter says about us. And remember, keep this in understanding on the faithfulness of God. To the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Benithia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit and obedience of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. God has not not only forgotten his people, He has not forgotten His people. He is going to pick it up again. But His assurance of doing that is our assurance, because we are grafted in as wild branches to the olive tree. And we don't support the root, but the root supports us. So an understanding of the prophets, an understanding of the the Abrahamic covenant, an understanding of how God is dealing with His people... In light of what's happening to us not only now but in the future, just opens up the Bible in a new and living way. We are confident people. Wow, this is a living document. Wow. But look at verse twelve back again in Amos nine twelve, real closely, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. Listen to this, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does this thing. Wow. Behold, the days are coming, verse 13, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people, Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. What a fitting way for this prophet that was obscure to to our knowledge, coming in and pronouncing judgment in a place that should have been a fertile place. It was at one time Bethel. But look, listen how he closes his uh, prophecy. I love it. This is God. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. I don't care out there. I don't care what people say. I don't care how much evil forces are against Israel. They are not going to be extinct. They are not going to be taken over. They are not going to lose their land. God has sworn it to them. You know, these times for me uh, are, these are the pinnacle of Sundays. You know, because When we talk about, you know, we go through the New Testament, we read the Psalms, we're going line by line, we learn about our position in Christ. But, you know, when we look at the prophets, I'm only thankful, that's all I can say, is just being thankful that God shows me His absolute trustworthiness and His character. Um, An unknown poet wrote this, and I will end with this. Scattered by God's avenging hand, afflicted and bemoaned, sad wanders from their pleasant land, the Jew has now come home. That's the declarating, crowning fact of this last part of Amos. Wow. I think that... (laughs) There is no other place on this earth that we can get such solace about what's going on, especially over in the Middle East, as as the prophets. Next week, when we go through this brief uh, prophet Obadiah, Obadiah, who, what, what, what is who was Obadiah? What did he talk about? Well, he's much like Nam. He he. Prophesy about the destruction of Edom. Who is Edom? Edom is descended from Esau, the brother of Jacob, remember? His father was Isaac. And I'll read this just to whet your appetite, and, and we'll uh, we'll continue this tomorrow. The struggle that began in the womb of Rebekah, and you can find that in Gen- or, excuse me, Genesis 25, it elevates to the struggle between their descendants, mm-hmm. the Edomites and the Israelites. First, Edom refused to aid Israel in the wilderness. We find that in Numbers 20 and elsewhere. Second, later during the time of Israel's invasion, probably by the Philistines, but also plotted the destruction of Jerusalem in five eighty six BC, and we go on and on. We'll talk about this. Uh, <laughs> the Bible is, is constructed in such a way that if we would set aside our preconceived notions and look at the facts, it is irrefutable. You know, one of the irrefutable things about God is descendants, bloodlines. Um, Wow. So, Cam, would you pray, please? Thank you, God, Father, for the persistent thread that runs through your Mm -hmm. faithfulness um, through all the Old Testament prophets, faithfulness to Israel, which, us also your faithfulness to us forever and ever. We thank you for the Bible, Mm -hmm. that it all fits together, gives us a worldview that is consistent with your plan for the ages. Mm -hmm. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who uh, at the High point in history uh, gave his life mm. so that we might be saved. We thank you, His name.